Let us now turn to the passage that we read. The Gospel according to Mark and chapter 8. And we may read again at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, that is Jesus, and the disciples, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. From your Bible reading, you may remember that there is an incident recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel when an imprisoned John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus with a question. And the question was, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Leaving aside what may have given rise to the question, do you remember the response of Jesus? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Did you note the very first mark? that Jesus gave to substantiate his claim and prove his identity. The blind receive their sight. In our reading this evening, Jesus remonstrates with his disciples about their need to sharpen their own vision. Having eyes, do you not see? They were a group of people who were repeatedly exposed to the teaching of Jesus, but they were slow to put it into practice. And I think it's probably a reflection on ourselves, how often we too require to be taught the same lesson for us to learn it. We need to have more clarity of spiritual vision. And to reinforce his teaching, the Lord opens the eyes of those who were blind. There are several instances highlighted during the ministry of Christ. In our text this evening, Mark records for us how one blind man received a sight at Bethsaida. This miracle, which is only recorded by the Gospel writer Mark, has several very peculiar features. Some of these it shares with one other of the Lord's miracles, which is also found only in this Gospel, and which occurred nearly about the same time. The miracle of healing the deaf and dumb man recorded in chapter 7 of this Gospel. Both of them have some points in common. Our Lord takes the person apart, works his miracle in privacy, 
and in both there is an abundant use of the same singular means. Our Lord's touch on the saliva, on his finger, and in both there is the, the urgent injunction of entire secrecy laid upon the recipient of the benefit. But this miracle had something else that sets it apart, stands alone, and that is that the work was done in stages. You could say that in, in many ways it is one of the most remarkable of all the miracles performed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have other examples in the Bible of blind people given sight, but not in the way in which this man was given sight. In other instances, Jesus but spoke, and blind people received their sight. Apparently, two very famous London preachers were gripped by this incident recorded for us by the Gospel writer Mark. One of these was Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher. Apparently, he preached on the passage three times, July 22, 1866, 10 years later, June 1876, and then again in September 21, 1879. Three different sermons given readers because his you know, sermons were published all over the world, encouraging insights into the Lord Jesus and how he deals with people. The other London preacher who was also famous is much nearer our own time, yeah, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And you find him preaching from this passage in a series of sermons entitled Spiritual Depression. I was once uh, privileged to hear Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the flesh. As a, a teenager, he was preaching in Kenner Street Free Church in the mid-1960s. I have to say I was absolutely riveted by his preaching style and mannerisms in the pulpit. He was, I suppose you could say, an electrifying preacher. And if my memory serves me right, he preached from Psalm 107. Although I have to say that most of his material, to my sorrow now, largely left no lasting impression. But it was a privilege to hear him because I had heard so much about the man. Uh, my late father used to hear him during the Second World War before his regiment was sent across to, to Europe and they used to go and hear Lloyd-Jones regularly in London. Uh, so much so that uh, when we were on our honeymoon and it was in London, almost 50 years ago, we went to Lloyd-Jones's church, but of course he was no longer there. But I just wanted to see the church 
I had heard so much about the circular balconies there and how they were full when Lloyd-Jones preached. Well, from reading the Gospel narratives, you discover that Jesus touched upon uh, people's lives in different ways. He was not restricted, you know, to one particular way of helping people. He could heal with a touch, but he could also heal with a word. He could heal without a word. He could heal by his mere will. A glance was as efficacious as a touch. This miracle, then, that I wish to look at in a little more depth this evening, as I already stated, has some unique features about it, but especially this, that instead of there being an instant cure in the life of this man, it was a case of progressive recovery. Maybe the very blindness of the man lent itself to such an approach, to go from midnight blackness to the full light of day in a moment, I suppose would be very painful. A progressive flooding of light along the optic nerves to the brain perhaps might seem more suitable. So there is something quite natural about a gradual cure, and yet this was absent in the healings of others who were also blind. Well, let us look a little more closely at this healing miracle at Bethsaida. First, the expectations of an aimless group. Second, the expectancy of the blind man. And thirdly, the exceeding of his expectation. First, the expectations of an aimless group. When a person's life has been touched by Jesus, often they wish to share that experience with others. It's as, it's as if there were an inner compulsion to share the experience of divine intervention in their lives. When Jesus comes into a life, he doesn't come so that you bottle it up and keep it all to yourself. There is this inner compulsion to share what Jesus has done. And uh, in our text this evening, we are told of a group of unnamed people who brought a blind friend to see Jesus and pleaded with Jesus to touch their blind friend. It's not too clear from the context whether they themselves had benefited from the touch of Jesus? Had their lives been changed around by Jesus? Or had they merely been influenced in some way by his teaching? It may be that one of the group had been the recipient of Christ's healing touch, or maybe they had just witnessed his miraculous healing in the lives of others. But I'm in the realm of speculation. And therefore, I cannot be sure about that. What is sure is that they were convinced that Jesus could, by a touch, do something for their friend. Their conviction was not just 
theoretical, it was practical in its application. They brought their friend to Jesus. Note how Mark introduces this miracle to us. And they came to Bethsaida. You ask yourself the question, who are the they who came to Bethsaida? And the answer is Jesus and his disciples. And Mark goes on, and some people brought to him a blind man. Now, I'm sure you've noticed in your Bible reading, Mark is not the wordy type. I want to have a better expression. It's as if he's always in a hurry to communicate his gospel information. So he tells almost in the same breath when he writes of Jesus coming to Bethsaida of how a blind man was brought by others to Jesus. Obviously, this nameless group were very earnest and I think probably very insistent in their appeal to Jesus. They had decided for themselves how Jesus should deal with their blind friend. How often, in our ignorance, we are inclined to dictate to God how he should act, as if the all-knowing God was incapable of deciding for himself. It is possible that these friends were Gentiles rather than Jews. And the reason that I suggest that is that Bethsaida was a Gentile area. Did they place more trust in the touch of Jesus than they did in Jesus himself? That's a possibility. It was certainly true of the woman who had suffered from constant hemorrhaging for 12 years. You may remember how she was in the crowd that thronged around Jesus, and we are privileged to be given her inner thought process. Mark records for us, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Luke in his gospel tells us that Jesus asked, who was it that touched me? A question the disciples thought futile and even foolish, since the crowd was all around Jesus. But Jesus had good reason to ask. Someone touched me, he says, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. However, in that example of healing, Jesus left the woman in no doubt that her healing was as a consequence of her faith and not her touch. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Whether the nameless friends of this blind man were of a similar mind, I cannot say with certainty, although I would be prepared to accept that they may have been. These friends at least believed that Jesus could heal their friend, and in that assumption they were correct. They were even sure they knew how Jesus would and should deal with their friend. And there is always the danger that we think the grace of Jesus should operate in a certain way. And perhaps we base that on our own experience 
reminds me of the first time I attended a Friday morning of communion services. Would have been in August 1968, Stornoway communion services. As some of you know then, and for many years after and before, the Friday morning of communion services took the form of a fellowship meeting. A verse of scripture would be given out by a male communicant member. The senior guest minister would seek to place the verse in its context and give a brief exposition of the text. Then men from various congregations were called to speak. As a relatively new convert at that service, when I heard a speaker refer to their experience in a way to which I could personally relate, I considered that I belonged to those who were the Lord's people. I felt uplifted. But then I would hear a speaker speak to the question uh, to whom I could not relate at all, and I would descend into the depths. I felt despondent. It was a strange kind of seesaw experience. And if I remember rightly, I think two men from Shawbust spoke to the question that day, and they were both Mordoma clouds. One was the father of the late Reverend John MacLeod, if I remember rightly, and the other was known locally here, I think, as Marachagabalahawl, unless I'm making a mistake, from South Shambust. And I had never, I knew the first Murder MacLeod from seeing him as a boy at uh, communions in Stornoway and in Lochs, where my parents used to take us. But the other Mordor MacLeod, I had never seen till then. I was absolutely fascinated by him. And uh, I got to know him a little better afterwards, but, but not at that particular time. Uh, I didn't appreciate then the countless different ways in which people are brought to faith in Christ. For you see, It's not our experience that is the norm for others, but our belief in that faith rests on Christ alone for salvation. The experience of the touch varies, but God's grace is the same. The nameless friends correctly expected Jesus to heal their blind friend but they were wrong in their expectations of the method of healing. So that's my first point, the expectations of a nameless group. Secondly, the expectancy of the blind man. A blind man, extremely vulnerable, so dependent on the care and the ministry of others, and especially in those days, You know, when you read the story, I was going to say you get the impression, but maybe you don't. I get the impression 
that he didn't expect much to happen. Now, that could be true for several reasons. Maybe he had been brought to a healer before, only to have his hopes and expectation dashed. Or it could be that he suffered from a measure of disillusion, having been blind for such a period of time. What hope could there be? He would just have to live with his disability. Whatever the reason, there is no indication that he himself pleads with Jesus for healing. The pleading is all done on his behalf by his nameless friends. And you cannot help but contrast this man with blind Bartimaeus, of whom Mark speaks later on in his Gospel. Mark tells us that Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he began to shout out with great passion, loudly and insistently, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that was despite the attempts of some to silence him. And you remember when Jesus made known that he wished Bartimaeus to come close to him, Mark tells us he threw off his cloak, he sprang up, he came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The same passion and desire for healing do not appear. They may have been, but they do not appear to be so urgent in the life of this man. The insistent pleading displayed by Bartimaeus seems to be missing from the life of this man at that moment. It's as if he were saying, I've been brought here. So, seems to be his attitude. And I can't help but think that some come to church like this. Is that you this evening? Did you come to the service this evening with little or no expectation of anything taking place in your life? You've heard it all before. You've been here often and returned home. You've performed your duty. Have you ever asked the Lord to raise your level of expectation? if you are really serious about the salvation of your never-dying soul. I sincerely hope, if that is true of you, that the low level of expectation is rudely shattered in such a way that God shines in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The expectancy of the blind man, you are forced to conclude that his expectation was very, very low. The expectations of an aimless group. Thirdly, the exceeding of his expectation. How was that achieved? Note what Jesus does initially. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. There is the touch that the blind man's friends requested. They are obviously waiting for developments, but nothing happens. How initially disappointing that must have been for them. Jesus takes them by the hand. Now we're not told that 
Jesus shakes his hand by way of introduction. That is not to say, but a, a handshake can have significance. Some handshakes can be very cold. Others can be warm and welcoming. You, you can frequently tell a lot from just a handshake. But here it is not just a mere handshake. Jesus holds on to the hand of the blind man. The impression is created that he clasped the hand of the blind man in his own hand. You see, until now there is something pathetic about the blind man standing there, hopeless, listless, not believing that this Jewish stranger is going to do anything for him. His impassive blind face, expressionless, no pleading, no entreaty to reinforce his companions' you know, desires. And if that was the case, how was Jesus to make contact, get as it were to the heart of this man? He could speak, but the blind eyes of the man were unable to see the sympathy and the love that shone from the face of the great physician. So he clasped his hand in his. And from such action, the helpless blind man may have concluded at the very least, here is someone who has a genuine interest in me. Someone who really cares about me and my plight. His listless indifference must have taken a back seat, dispelled by the warmth of this new contact. Jesus took him by the hand. Not only did he take him by the hand, but he led him out of the village. And there's no indication that the blind man sought to resist. He obviously found it reassuring to be led by Jesus out of the village despite his vulnerability. There is no evidence that he was distraught, had been led about by someone unknown to him. Jesus takes him away from the crowd and isolates this man. Marx doesn't say anything about conversation. Perhaps my imagination is working overtime, but I tend to think of this walk as a time of conversation between Jesus and the helpless, vulnerable man whom he holds by the hand. As he guides him out of the village past all obstacles that may have been strewn in the way, obstacles that could have posed a threat to the well-being of this vulnerable blind man. One would love to know if there was conversation, what the topic was. Did the blind man pour out the story of his life to this Jesus who held him by the hand? Did Jesus ask probing questions to elicit more information from the man? Did that prompt the vulnerable, disabled person to express his inner thoughts and fears to this warm, sensitive, compassionate new friend who held him by the hand? Perhaps even disclosing thoughts and fears that he had suppressed before, even from himself, and never dared to speak until now. Possible 
but I don't know. But you know whether that happened or not. Jesus, through the word, often isolates those with whom he deals, even when they're surrounded by other people. He uses various providences too, to isolate us, like illness, causing some event in our providence that leaves us unable to be present in our chosen fear of activity. At other times, maybe the removal of loved ones out from life, leaving us lonely on the desert journey of life. But whoever he does it, is he not saying to us, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. And the reason for isolation is that he speak tenderly to them, just as he did to Israel of old, as recorded for us in the prophecy of Hosea. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Literally, it means to speak to the heart. And the speaker who speaks to the heart in this instance has such a comprehensive understanding of our hearts and our needs. So if you are present in the service this evening or watching or listening online, you would not be the first to have felt isolated by the truth as it addresses your hopes and fears or by some peculiar providence. Many times, people are singled out in the middle of a crowd by the Lord and addressed in a way that leaves them in no doubt that the message is just for them. And yes, there is something about Jesus that makes you want to confide in him. The very loving warmth of his sympathetic heart coming into contact with your deep human need. Perhaps you are present tonight and you can testify to the reality of such a meeting in your own life. For the very first time, you met someone who really understood your needs. Well, in many ways, the, the, this blind man should be a figure of envy for us. Not everyone is afforded the privilege of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, leading them by the hand. It's, it's a, a very touching picture of deep pastoral care and love on the part of the heavenly shepherd. In being led in this way, you must conclude that the expectation and faith of this man was being heightened. But the great physician, having isolated this man, then does something that may appear strange, perhaps even repulsive to some. He spat on the eyes of the blind man and laid his hands on him. Remember these glazed eyes, possibly diseased and crusted, were sprayed with spittle, and then the calloused hands of a former carpenter placed over them. I suppose you could say that these actions would seem more than a little strange to us, were like a ladder to which his, his budding faith might cling. This was a, a method of communication 
where Jesus entered the thought world of this blind man and established significant contact with him. Jesus had his attention. You know, sometimes Jesus uses what may appear to us peculiar methods to grab our attention and hold it. And I like to think that as Jesus held his fingers on the hitherto sightless eyes of this man, that hope and faith were beginning to rise in his heart. And then Jesus asks him, do you see anything? Now, as you know, it would be a foolish question to ask a blind man, do you see anything? It's not the kind of thing you would say to someone you knew to be blind. But you see, something miraculous had taken place. This man, for the first time in years, I don't know how long he was blind, we're not told. He saw light and color. But you know, that's not his initial response. He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. In other words, his vision was unclear. It's as if he were looking through water and seeing people with bloody movement. They look like trees walking, is his answer. Now, I would not wish to make this man's experience the basis for the doctrine of spiritual experience. But what I will say is that coming to Christ is but the beginning of clear spiritual vision. It's just the beginning. I could also say, as I've already said, that most people's experiences are unique to them. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, states that believers are God's workmanship. Literally, it is God's poems, his masterpieces, individual works of art, and the process unique to each one. And for that to happen, we require to submit to the touch of Christ. Not everyone has a sudden Damascus Road kind of experience. For many, the transition from darkness to light is gradual. More and more light filters into their lives, so they become more, see more clearly the way of salvation through faith in Christ. And here Jesus is encouraging the man to trust by demonstrating his own power. He can see but not clearly. And then we are told Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Remember Mark received a lot of his information from the disciple Peter. And it seems to me that, that Peter enthusiastically describes the outcome of the touch of Jesus. He saw everything clearly. Literally, he saw everything clearly from afar. He had 20-20 vision. For those who, who may have experience of successful cataract surgery, you can understand how that is true literally. When your vision was so clouded by the cataract, and when that cataract is removed, there is perfect sight. It's a whole new world for you. 
No spectacles required for general vision or for driving, maybe for reading, yes. And for this man, I like to believe that this speaks not just of 2020 vision being granted to him physically, but new spiritual vision. Could he not say with another who experienced the marvelous restoration of sight, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What a wonderful transformation from being enclosed in a sightless, dark world, devoid of color, to being granted the power of sight and to behold the marvels of creation, but much more, to have a new saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the miracle worker who transforms lives so that they reflect his power and his marvelous grace. How little of that is known of self and your Savior at the outset of our Christian walk. As one writer puts it, Christian progress does not consist in seeing new things, but in seeing old things more clearly. The same Christ, the same cross, only more distinctly and deeply apprehended and more closely incorporated into my very being. We do not grow away from him, but we grow into knowledge of him. If I were to read anything at all into the second touch, it is this. Throughout this life, Paul records we see in a mirror dimly, but in being glorified, the believer will no longer see fragments of Christ, but his full glory revealed before them. Without question, Whilst we are journeying through life, we require our spiritual vision to be sharpened. That is what I believe. Lay behind Paul's prayer for those believers at Ephesus, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The exceeding of his expectation. He had new vision. What praise there must have been in the life of one whose initial expectations had appeared so low. His expectations were miraculously exceeded. And so as we draw the service to a close, let me conclude by setting a most appropriate prayer for every one of us before our minds and hearts. A prayer which was included in our second item of praise this evening. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's a prayer that is relevant and applicable to every one of us, whether we are in grace or not in grace whether we have been long on the road as believers or shortly on the road or not at all. It's a prayer that is appropriate for all. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. May God in his supreme and wonderful grace 
grant a response to every heart from which such a prayer arises. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank thee that thou art the hearer and the answerer of prayer. And we bless thy name that your answering is not dependent upon our poor utterances, which so often sound so unintelligible, but are intelligible to thee, for thou dost look into our hearts. Grant, O Lord, that none of us be strangers to the healing touch of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we all may have spiritual vision that would enable us to see the way of salvation through faith in Christ, and the glory shall be thine. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.